dear friends in Jesus Christ, as we go on the Holy Week journey, today is Sermon 1 of 14. So we have a long way to go here as we work our way through chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16 of the Gospel according to Mark. If we think about Holy Week plus one, if we think about that eight-day period of time, if only we could do this, if only we could somehow step back to the point, and now here we are able to see from the time of creation all the way to the return of Christ, and we're able to understand all that's going on in world history, if we had the knowledge that we do about the reality of sin and about the need for Jesus, and we looked at all of time, it would be so clear for us to be able to see that Holy Week plus one is the most important eight-day period in all of human history. I hope you can see it that way. I think that's what God wants us to understand. Why do I say that? Think about this image I shared with you before. When we think about Acts chapter 4, verse 12, it says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So think about Adam and Eve. What were they doing? In a way, maybe not with the knowledge that we have, but Adam and Eve, though, they heard the promise of the Messiah. And what were they doing way back at the beginning of time? They were looking ahead to that day when the promised Messiah would come and do his work. What about us? And for others who live after us, we're way out here, and we are looking back in time to that eight-day period of time when the Messiah did his final work to take away the sin of the world. So I hope you understand that as we go through this series, as we follow the Holy Week journey in the booklet, what we're doing is we're focusing on that most important period of time in all of time. So it's a really significant thing. I want to say a couple things here before we get into our days itself. We're going to look today at days one and two. But two things we need to remember. So we are taking that eight-day period. We are stretching it out over 47 days. It's a very unusual thing we're doing here. Like if you told anybody you know, hey, today at our church, we celebrated Palm Sunday. They're going to think like you lost your mind or something. However, though, we're taking that eight-day period, stretching it out over 47 days. That's really the only way we can do some closer examination of what happened during that week. We have so much information that happened during that eight-day period of time, we don't even have time just to read it here at Bethlehem, let alone preach through it. This is going to give us the opportunity to preach through all of it during this particular season of Lent. So that's one thing to keep in mind. The timing might sound a little bit unusual, but there is that purpose in it, though. The other thing, too, I want us to think more like Jewish people for this particular series. In other words, understand that for them, they're following Jewish time, so their day 
would end at sunset and the new day would begin at sunset. For us, of course, we end and begin our day at midnight, but for them it's different. Like I tried to say to the children, when it comes to what happened there in the upper room, we think about that as being Thursday, but from a Jewish perspective, that happened on Friday. In our sermon today, we're going to come to day one, and I want you to understand that day one of the booklet, now we would say, oh, that was on Saturday night. Oh no, from a Jewish perspective, that happened very early on Sunday. So the first event we come to, even though we might think Saturday night, from a Jewish perspective, this was very early on Sunday. We're gonna to come to that reality over and over again. So let's think like Jews for this series when it comes to the timekeeping. Okay, with all that said, let's go right on now. Uh, Jesus anointed at Bethany. So we start off with an unusual situation here with day number one. So we are looking at Mark chapter 14. Now this series is going from chapter 11 to chapter 16. Why are we jumping in at chapter 14? I believe that everything here is chronological in all those chapters, except for what we have right here on day number one. This is an event inserted in in chapter 14, but really it is an event when we look at the different accounts of it in the Bible, we can see that it had to have taken place on, again, what we might call the evening before Palm Sunday, but very early on Palm Sunday from a Jewish perspective. So coming to the setting itself then here, Jesus had been in Jericho prior to this, so he was at the home of Zacchaeus. Remember Zacchaeus, the wee little man who climbed the sycamore tree, wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus, that whole story, that was going on in Jericho. And then Jesus travels the 15 miles to Bethany. When we think about him traveling, we don't have the details in the Bible, but most likely though, he left out early on Friday, in other words, Friday morning, probably walked the 15 miles on Friday, and then he got to Bethany prior to sunset because at sunset, that would have been the beginning of the Sabbath. So from sunset Friday until sunset Saturday. So he arrives there in Bethany, he's resting on the Sabbath day, and then we come to the anointing after that. If you're looking at the map there, you can see Jericho, Bethany, and Jerusalem, how they line up there. Jericho being about 15 miles away, Bethany being very close to Jerusalem. Then we come to the anointing itself. So here we are in chapter 14, picking up in verse 3. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, so he was there attending a dinner in his honor, he was reclining at the table. There came a woman with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. The woman is not named in Mark, but the woman is named though over in the gospel according to John. So we know the woman is Mary and we believe it is Mary who was the sister of Martha and Lazarus. They all live in Bethany. Thinking about what she did, she takes this perfume bottle 
and it probably had like a very long neck on the bottle where you could break it so it was sealed but you could break the neck of it and then she poured the perfume on Jesus why would she do that she was probably filled with much thanksgiving because Jesus had raised her brother back to life after having been in the tomb for four days and yet Jesus raised him to life but we believe that even in a greater sense, she understood he is the Messiah, and maybe she was one of the few that actually understood he's not coming here to take a throne and to rule over Israel. He's coming to take the throne of the cross, and she was honoring the sacrifice that he was about to make. So we believe that was her motivation. She did something radical to express her great thanks to Jesus. What are we doing to express our great thanks to Jesus? We need to think that through sometimes. But then we see some anger arise here. The Bible says, but some, and that would certainly include Judas Iscariot, were indignantly remarking in other words, they were speaking with anger to one another. They said, why has this perfume been wasted? For this perfume might have been sold for 300 denarii and the money given to the poor, and they were scolding her. As we think about this perfume, when we come to 300 denarii, a denarius is what a laborer would be paid for a single day of work. So if you think about working six days a week, 300 denarii would be what you would make in an entire year. So think about somebody today, this may be like a construction laborer, and how much they would make if they worked the entire year. You know, you're talking a lot of money. That would be, that gives us an idea of the value of this perfume that Mary used to anoint Jesus. Well, maybe we could relate that thinking about the Super Bowl. You might have heard that to have a 30 second ad during the Super Bowl cost about $7 million. 30 second ad. It's like hard to justify that, isn't it? And the ones who saw this woman break the vial and pour it on Jesus, they're like having a hard time justifying that. It wasn't just Judas Iscariot, but we can understand a little bit with him. We know from the Bible, he carried the money bag among the disciples, and we also know he was a thief. So he's probably thinking, that money should have gone into the money box and that would have given me more money to be able to take for myself. So he was probably especially angry, but it wasn't just him though. If you think about it in like a common sense way, even the others were angry about this. Why wasn't that perfume sold? Why wasn't the money given to the poor? And then we come to the justification with Jesus. He said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them, but you do not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for the burial. Truly I say to you, whenever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will be spoken of in memory of her. Think about you and I 
we have more than what we need. I think all of us have more than what we need. So what should we do with some of our abundance? We should help the poor. However, though, what should we be thinking more about with this particular account in the Bible as Mary did something so radical to show her love and devotion to Jesus? What is God the Holy Spirit calling us to do to show our radical love and devotion to Jesus? That's day number one. Day number two, we come to Jesus' triumphal entry. So this is more traditional Palm Sunday here. So coming to the setting, think about it like this. The Bible says, on Sunday morning, as Jesus and his disciples approached Jerusalem at Bethphage and Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? You say, The Lord has need of it and immediately he will send it back here. They went away and found a colt tied at the door outside in the street, and they untied it. Some of the bystanders were saying to them, what are you doing, untying the colt? They spoke to them just as Jesus had told them, and they gave them permission. If we think about what Jesus told them, we might think, about how things worked in the wild, wild west. If you were caught stealing a horse, you were hanged. This is a serious matter to go and take someone's donkey. But yet what happened here, Jesus said, this is exactly what I want you to do. And even though it was a very dangerous thing, like if Jesus wasn't right, if it wasn't going to have the reaction that he said it would, these guys could be in great trouble. But Jesus said it, and they did it. I think that's what we should pick up on here. So what about for us? We should be reading the Bible, and whatever Jesus says, no matter how radical it is, no matter how nonsensical it is, we should do it. May God help us to have that attitude and to put God's word into practice. And then we come to the triumphal entry. They brought the colt to Jesus and put their coats on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their coats in the road, and others spread leafy branches which they had cut from the fields. Those who went in front and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, save us now. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. Dr. Kretzmann explained what they were saying with these words. The people here confessed Jesus as the son of David, as the Messiah of Israel, whose kingdom was about to be established. I think that's accurate what Dr. Kretzmann wrote, but my guess would be, though, that some in the crowd, probably a much smaller number, they had a proper understanding of the kingdom about to be established, the kingdom of God, 
where many others were probably thinking about a kingdom on earth where Jesus would rule as an earthly king. What do we have to keep in mind here? We have to keep in mind that they are welcoming him as the son of David. If we jump back a thousand years, David, he was the greatest king of Israel. He was a great warrior. The Lord blessed him. He expanded the borders. The enemies finally left him alone because he had such greatness because of the blessing of the Lord. What happened after David? Well, the kingdom was here, and after David, the kingdom is going like this for about a thousand years. But they know, though, oh, God has promised that one day a son of David will come, a descendant of David, and he will be a king even greater than David. So people were thinking about that. They knew it was coming, and they believed that Jesus was that greater king, that he is that son of David. They were so excited that he would somehow rally the nation and they would overcome the Romans and they would become a free country again and maybe they would even expand their borders again and it would be even better than it was back when David was king. I think probably a lot of people were thinking in that way So if that's correct, you can kind of understand why they were so very excited. But then you had the faithful remnant among the crowd, and they understood about a chapter like Isaiah 53, and they understood the way that Jesus would win would be more like this, by being so thoroughly abused and receiving our sins, and receiving the punishment of God, and laying down his life. A lot of people think greatness in temporal things is so important, and yet God wants us to shift over and say, oh no, it doesn't matter what we have, fame and glory on earth, riches and good health and all that. Oh yeah, those are great things for sure, but this is so much more important coming to spiritual things, coming to eternal things. That's where it's at. Sometimes we can all get caught up in all this stuff over here, can't we? I've certainly have been that way in my life, but yet God wants us to shift over here. He wants us to focus on the spiritual, on the eternal. And I think some people really understood what was going on. I'm guessing probably many did not. Then we come to the conclusion here. Jesus entered Jerusalem and came into the temple. And after looking around at everything, he left for Bethany with the 12 since it was already late. So Jesus makes his triumphal entry. He goes into the temple. He looks around. He sees all the corruption. He sees all the bad things going on. He has a lot of important things he wants to address with the people, but it's already getting late on Sunday. So him and the disciples, they return to Bethany for the night. And I would guess that they probably went to the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary and stayed at their home overnight. We're going to see that maybe not on every night, but on a number of nights, they are returning to Bethany, only about two miles away from Jerusalem. So they were getting ready for 
Holy Monday. That's what we come to this coming Wednesday. Our focus will be what happened on Holy Monday. Let us pray. Dear Lord Jesus, as we journey with you during Holy Week all the way to your resurrection, we pray that you would fill us with thanksgiving for all you did to take away our sins. In your holy name we pray. Amen.